0: No, we have not done this in a long time. It's been like, what, four or five years since we've seen each other in person. We were unclear what country it was in, but here we are in London at ARC.
1: And I'm very thankful to, to be here. It makes it special given that there's so much time has passed. There's a lot to talk about.
0: <laughs> there is a lot to talk about. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the things that you've been warning about on the ground, really starting in Portland, Seattle, Pacific Northwest, but Antifa and BLM. A lot of that now has uh, the chaos around that has, has kind of spread all over the world. Um, but here we are in London first, so let, let's let's do that first. Uh, w- why are you here at Ark? We'll do a little of that, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty.
1: Well, I'm here at Ark um, as an attendee to, I, I think we're a couple years now, or or I'd say number of months after what governments did to the world because of pandemic lockdowns and i think people have moved on and they have just forgotten how bad things were there and um there's how people how people should be having discussions are in person and i i i feel like a lot of people have forgotten that they've gotten so used to the zooms meetings the the youtube videos and all that which is a great form of communication, but getting together in person is—it's different. I'm sure you can attest to that. Us, if we did this interview by a uh, Skype, it's very different than you and I sitting in front Absolutely. of one another. So having a, a conference, um, in person in London, where all of us can come together with these different ideas, many dissident ideas, counter ideas, on on um, how society could potentially be better organized—that's something I want to be a part of. And, um uh, I'm still angry that uh, our lives were disrupted for years, shut down for years because um, of government policies.
0: Yeah. And what you're sort of known for is being on the ground at a lot of these events over the years and the protests and the riots and the violence that we've seen in so many of our cities. Um, and now we're seeing a sort of new version of that. We've sort of seen the BLM Antifa thing. To me, it's like the mass came off almost overnight. And now here in London, just over the last couple of days, you, you've been at some of these what I would say are Hamas rallies. I don't think that they're pro Palestine rallies. They strike me as Hamas rallies. Uh, but I'll let you uh, discuss that if you think that's a fair estimation. And wh- what do you make of what's going on, on the ground here it in so many European cities?
1: So, uh, most people are probably familiar with my work because of my writings and videos related to Antifa, but actually before that, one of my main beats was I wrote about and talked about radical Islam, uh, Muslim migration and integration. That was one of the things that people hated me for, actually. (laughs)
0: There's a long list of things that
1: people hate you for. Yeah,
0: I'm on that list, too. I got a list that they hate me for.
1: So I've been able to to bring out like the knowledge and skill set that I have from that prior type of coverage um, in covering the recent demonstrations of the last three weeks uh, since the seventh of uh, October, which is when Hamas um, launched its terror attacks in southern Israel. I've been on the ground in London covering the demonstrations. Some of them have been very extreme, some have been violent. Uh and I've also been keeping an eye on what's been happening in the US at the university campuses mm-hmm. and cities coast to coast. What I've observed in the US is that the uh the agitators and those who are showing up shown up for the direct actions in America are the same actors as those who were involved in the BLM Antifa unrest in 2020. Um, I, I, Can you talk about
0: that for a second from like an operational level? How is it that it seems like, as I said, almost overnight, BLM just, we had two years of crazy BLM Antifa riots and all of that stuff. It cooled off for two years under Biden and then just basically overnight they've turned it on again. That, that's, that's not just an accident
1: yes, that's that's an accurate observation. I mean, it was literally overnight that I mean, it actually was was the same day on the seventh yeah. October that yeah. people showed up in many cities for these celebration rallies. so how how they did it is because in 2020 they had months to strengthen develop and or strengthen these so-called nonprofit groups um, that are very uh, adept at grassroots organizing access to huge email listservs and left wing groups all the, all left wing groups um and so they were just able to send out mass emails get up uh, the digital flyers which takes just minutes to make and just get it this information out show up here at this time asap and um we've we have a whole generation of um american youth who were radicalized just a few years ago and, and now they're 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 ready to be the foot soldiers again for the latest cause um it doesn't matter that they are completely ignorant about the history of conflict between um the state of israel or the, how israel was even founded mm-hmm. that that history conflict of israel and its arab neighbors um they're ignorant about the history of palestinian nationalism it doesn't matter it's just as you've probably observed and viewers listeners observed that they've recycled a lot of the same chants from blm mm-hmm. no justice no peace there's um hatred of police sentiment hatred of america sentiment it's it's the same you could say grievances yeah. now there's a new one tacked on which is the the pal- the so-called palestinian grievance um the difference between the American one, the American protests, demonstrations and the, the ones that have been happening in Europe, um, there's just, there's an important distinction in that the ones that are happening in London um, and in, in Europe have an element of radical Islam to it that is more predominant than in America.
0: Right, so from an American perspective, it seems to mostly be like confused college students who are just kind of pawns not to say there's no element of it, but here the Islamist element is way stronger.
1: Correct. Yeah, so yeah, so I'm glad you brought that from the Islamist uh, element. So if you are familiar with Islamist Islamism, it's it's about political organizing or political identity around a Muslim identity. And Europe has had, um, because of um, bad integration policies, there's been two generations or more of Muslim British, Muslim Europeans, who um, uh, some of them have been radicalized in a separatist identity. Uh, There are organizations that are established here and in other countries in Europe that really push the grievance against wider society. So what I witness being on the ground um, covering many many huge demonstrations here is that there's a leftist element to it in that you have white british people who are part of socialist groups or communist groups who are coming to recruit in fact they're kind of at the forefront of the formal organizing aspect Mm -hmm. of it like the they will hand out the placards Mm -hmm. to people you'll see socialist workers parties on these signs um they have tables and booths set up for people
0: and they literally set up right outside the tube station so these people show up and they just hand them stuff and then they're out there
1: it's a well-oiled machine And then you have Islamists who are there who um will chant things in Arabic that people around them, if you don't speak Arabic or if you don't I'm not familiar with the chants, you don't even realize how extreme they are like so I recorded some of them chanting about kavad, which um is a it's a chant referencing uh a time a part of Islamic tradition stories that. Um, Muhammad's army in the seventh century in Arabia slaughtered and killed um, Jewish communities, and they they have a chant associated to that. So, and they they use they they say the Muhammad's army is coming. It's coming for the Jews, and where they use uses Yahud, they don't say Israelis to say Jews. So, mm. if you're just around there and you're you don't understand this, you would not even realize it. Um, there have been speakers um, at some of these so-called pro-palestine rallies that are literally calling for jihad um and urging for um muslim armies these are their words to wage jihad in israel so they very much view it uh not just in israel here right so they've been really careful in their language because so in britain um there's no first amendment and there is anti-terror legislation that has restrictions on speech and because some of these uh radical muslim activists and groups have been prosecuted because they will be much more explicit some of the speakers here have been a bit more um they've given themselves enough of plausible deniability in fact it it became a little bit of a scandal here two weeks ago because during the speeches about jihad and calling for muslim armies to an engage in jihad and against israel um the met police uh, in (laughs) london you you posted
0: this right it was incredible yeah
1: they were responding on social media well we have people on our team analyzing the speech and jihad has a number of meanings so it's like this is what i mean when it's like the the extreme speakers are they're playing with the language in a way that can fool who they need to fool.
0: Right. Which all is there. by the way, I mean they're doing that in the States as well, because when they chant from the river to the sea, it's obviously a call for genocide. We know what's between the river and the sea. They're not going to get out there and say kill all the Jews, then then you have a First Amendment problem. But so they're playing with the language. Do you think that that well, we're here in London. So do you think the UK is set up properly to deal with this? I mean, it it seems like there is an invasion. That that's what it feels like to me and I think to a lot of people when they're seeing the videos that you're posting.
1: So, there's been three pro-Israel, only three pro-Israel protests in, in London since uh, the attacks. The first one didn't happen until a whole week after, and I think because the, um, the British Jewish community is genuinely afraid to hold a large public gathering, yeah. understandably, uh, there was a lot of police protection for all of them. One of the uh, rallies was outside the police headquarters, by an organization called um, uh, Campaign Against Anti-Semitism and what they were advocating for is that the, the extremist chants and speeches and uh, signs that are, have been shown at some of these rallies that police need to enforce the law and prosecute um, arrest and then prosecutors need to actually prosecute based on hate speech legislation or assignment to violence or assignment to racial hatred. They actually have all those laws here. I I haven't seen, at least in the mainstream, discussions about migration and immigration. Um, There's... I think this is an uncomfortable reality for white British to acknowledge or accept, but Mm -hmm. what I've witnessed and seen and heard um, at these rallies that I go to is that there's a there's a sense of religious and racial consciousness with, with some of these um British Muslim communities that is on a whole another level that um the average person doesn't really understand. Like these people are not they're not just there to show up with the sign and chant. They really I have a dedication, a solidarity with their brothers and sisters as the words they would use in Palestine that um is much more extreme than showing up for a protest and leaving. And I think this points to um questions about immigration policies in Britain in the past. Um
0: but, but what do they do forward? I mean, I think a lot of people, at least on the DL, are saying, OK, we really screwed up this immigration thing. And it's obviously partly at least why Brexit happened. But yet here we are. I mean, is there anyone politically that has the power or the will to to fix some of this, whatever, whatever that means? I mean, this seems to be the question that everyone is
1: asking privately, but nobody's
0: talking about publicly,
1: um, Within the mainstream parties here. Uh, By the they, way,
0: you were at an event last night, a battle of ideas or event where you basically asked this and didn't get an answer. So,
1: yeah, I'm so, posing
0: the same question to you now.
1: Well, within Labour, uh, which is the, the center left party and the conservative party, the center right uh, party in the UK, neither one are neither one have offered an analysis through discussion about immigration. In fact, just a few weeks ago, the the home secretary which is um she's the head of the the uk equivalent of of um uh dhs she has spoken about uh the failures of multiculturalism in burton and anytime anybody in public speaks about it they are just they are destroyed yeah, by the childhood and classes and media and it's like just <laughs> I, I would encourage people to go to some of these um so-called pro-palestine rallies and see and go and see if, if you think this is a, a success story about british integration but it's not just a story about britain it's the same story in france i mean in fact in france there the government there is so afraid of um anti-semitic assignment incitement, uh, incitement to anti-semitic violence that they've actually banned um the uh pro-palestine rallies people have shown up
0: but they're not doing anything about it I mean,
1: they they sent police out but yeah. i mean it's you have that, tens of thousands of people in central paris at some of these demonstrations and i mean police will fire off tear gas and all that I, it's just an, an observation i have is like uh, uh, poland and and hungary have been uh, uh they face a lot of um uh, propaganda against them in liberal media, Western media, mm-hmm. and through the EU. Uh, so through institutions as well, and particularly about how they, in the last decade, have been, um, they've been, ref- they've refused to be strong-armed by the EU yeah. into accepting large numbers of Muslim migrants. And uh, they've also historically have resisted that as well. Um, and it's it's not in these places that you see attacks on synagogues or Jewish people being killed or targeted. It's in places that are like in France, um, in Bergen, um, in Germany, what, in Sweden.
0: What would your warning then be for someone that has been... You've been warning about this stuff in America. Now you're warning about this stuff here in Britain, what would your warning be for Americans? Or, or is there any, anything we should be doing politically to, to deal with some of this before it fully hits us, even though it feels like it, it might be hitting us
1: already? We saw Americans, we saw what the BLM grievance rage was able to do to America in 2020 because of the allies and coalitions that BLM was able to build up with Antifa and all these other radical groups. Now, they've been able to pull in another grievance group, this being Muslim Americans or Arab Americans. Uh, That's really dangerous. And um, they're so clear in their incitement to violence, you can see it in what's been revealed about many of these academics. I mean, these aren't these aren't just radicals who are showing up um, on the streets that nobody cares about. These are people who have access to young people in academic institutions and are ra- radicalizing. And in my view, it's there's a, a thread of this the same ideology of bloodlust of a hatred against the country America and wanting hating it so much that they endorse terrorism against America and its allies and friends internationally. Um, we have a homegrown radicalization issue in America and it's on the left. This is, it's a failure of all the um, counter extremism or hate watch groups in America like SPLC, ADL, and all that. We have this whole industry that's been very, very good within a civil society to research, encounter, and expose far-right extremism. Bravo to them for that. I don't fault them for doing that type of work. I think that type of exposure um, in in knowledge needs to be out there. But where is it on the far left? Not only do they not do it, they're they're part of it. Yeah,
0: right. That's the twisted part. That's the twisted part. Well, uh, Andy, I suspect. Well, first off, we're going to do this more than once every three years. That's number one. But I do want to say on a personal note, you know, when you started doing this thing, Were you a student at Portland State when we first met years ago? I was. It was one of the first events that I ever did, a free speech event where I was being protested and called a Nazi, and you were a student at Portland State covering it, and you've become really like one of the, well, you're on the very short list of journalists, but I don't have to go like this when I say journalist and put air quotes, so uh, on a personal note, I'm very proud of your success, And, and you're brave. You're genuinely brave. A lot of people in this kind of fake it, but you're still out there, and it's come at great cost to you, I'm sure. Well, not only physically, but emotionally and everything else. So I'm glad you're still on the fight, my friend.
1: Thank you very much, Dave. And I, I just want to say like how thankful that I am for the the work you've done all these years. There's been a lot of YouTubers nah, who have dropped off the scene. You've been through, I mean, it's many years now. And it's really nice to see this consistent figure and face and voice. And, and thank you for giving platform to so many of us who... We were starting out in our careers and were unknown figures.
0: I got nothing better to do than save the world, so let's do it, huh? Thanks for tuning into the Ruben Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at RubenReport.Locals.com.